This is the Horse Radio Network. This is Lesson 36, Equine Clicker 101 Podcast on the Horse Radio Network. Timing is key for shaping behavior. Equine Clicker 101 is a podcast that takes you to the classroom to learn and practice clicker training for your horse. Please support our sponsors as they make the show possible. They are Nova Training and Cavalier Feed. This is Shauna Karish, and in today's episode, we are going to talk about, it's a concept, and it's a really key concept that works for many, many behaviors, and that is the timing for our bridge signal. When we click, is that means we can really shape behavior in really definitive ways. So we're going to talk about, I was just recently presented with a question of how do I train this? I'm getting this other thing I don't want, and I want this thing, and really it boiled down to the timing. And so I thought it's a good, it's a good reminder for, we're going to work on kicking a ball and nudging the ball first, but it's a good reminder for all sorts of things. So it is, we're going to talk about it and how and why. Alrighty. So one of the things that people ask all the time, they say, where can I find clickers? Where can I find side buckets? Where can I find you know, more, 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 everybody wants more. (laughs) And you can find these different things, books, training tools, whichever you can find it on my website. And my website is shawnacarish.com or on dash target dash training.com. Just Google Shauna Karish. You Google Shauna Karish, you're going to find my website. You're going to find Via Nova website. So you can learn more about me, where I come from, what I'm up to. You can also find out more about Via Nova. Via Nova is where I am based out of. And we can, uh, we have things going on all the time here. We also go out on the road. So if you go to the Via Nova website, you can also learn more about me and, and the bigger mission that we have going on here. So. There you go. And one of the other things that you might want to do is learn more about actually Via Nova and how we got started. Via Nova is an amazing place where we are working out of to be a premier positive reinforcement training center. So let's learn a little bit more about positive or about Via Nova training. At Via Nova, our mission is to bring awareness of positive reinforcement training to the mainstream equestrian world from the top competitors to the casual enthusiast. It helps to create happy horses and ultimately improves the athletic performance. So if you are performing with your horse, it can help you to have a happy athlete or it can have you happy trail horse, whichever you want. It creates a unique bond with your horse and it can be used to help save some behavioral issues on the ground or even under saddle. As I said, I'm based out of there and I have the expertise and experience that can help bring you to the next stage of the game. Also, Via Nova offers coaching and education and positive reinforcement that enhances any training program. And we're based in lovely Santa Fe, New Mexico. So it's a great place to come for workshops or positive reinforcement, but also enjoy the Southwest scenery, shopping and dining. And boy, do we have good dining. Visit Vianovatraining.com and you can sign up for our newsletter and you can stay abreast of what's going on out here via Nova. All righty. Well. 
it is class time. Now, I got to kind of call this, they're like conceptual nuggets. <laughs> and, and here and there, I put conceptual nuggets that are, it's a training, a training concept that is really an important part of training no matter what behavior you're doing, no matter what you're working on. It's kind of a key concept to keep in mind to help you to have success as the training goes. So just as a reminder, all of this training, the positive reinforcement training, it is science. I didn't make this up. Nobody made this up. This is already one of the ways that we've learned that horses are motivated and how they learn. So there are some kind of factors that, that work all the time, or they're good things to remember and go back to when we start to lose our way or we're not getting the criteria we want or whatever those pieces are. So this one really is about what uh, we refer to in the marine mammal industry as selective bridging. Remember, the clicker is a bridge signal. So when we click, we are bridging that behavior. We're saying, yes, what you're doing right now has earned you some sort of reward. Come to me to check in for your reward. So when we use that bridge signal, we have really highlighted a specific moment in time. We've said that piece is what I like, and that is what I want to see more of. So through selective bridging, we can really highlight finite moments in time and specific moments that we really want to see more of. A lot of times when I'm shaping a new behavior, and I'm sure this is working for you too, because this is kind of what I tend to teach, is I start with a target oftentimes. So I want, you know, I want, here's a really good example. I wanted, and this is a real example, is I was teaching Minty to hop because I would take the horses. And this was, I mean, he's 27 now. So when he was a little guy, they were going out, him and George will go out on the road and do demos at expos for the United States Equestrian Federation's, you know, Festival of Champions. We'd go all over and do stuff. So teaching them some fun behaviors really demonstrated the horse getting one cue and choosing to do it without any equipment, without any coercion, without you could just see the joy that was in the horses. So I would teach kind of fun, kind of nonsensey behaviors. So I decided to teach Mint a hop. So how do I go about shaping a behavior? I think what I want. This is what I want. I want this behavior where he hops and that's what I'd like. So I could ask for a leg and he can hop in a circle around me. That's what I basically wanted. So then I thought, okay, so what do I need to do to do that? I thought, well, first thing I need to do is teach him to keep his leg up and move forward. First thing, so what I started doing is asking for his leg and then presenting the target. I tend to use the target for most all behavior. Some sort of target is usually involved because it's how I create behavior. I want to fade it out of behavior, but that's its purpose to me is for me to communicate the behavior I'm looking for so I have something worth clicking and reinforcing. So I go about to train in the hop. And so I ask for his leg and then I hold the target straight in front of him. And you can see him go, well, I can't really go forward if I'm holding my leg up. And you could see him then shift his hind end. He rocked back a little bit to get over his hind end. So I click that because yes, he must get the weight off the front end. So it has to go onto the back end so he can actually move forward with, without having to have the weight on the front end. Okay. So that makes sense. So I click, I bridge him for that piece and say, yes, perfect. I feed him. We get that worked out. And then pretty soon he is moving forward to the target. Now <laughs> this, as I was going along, 
I kind of, I finished the behavior really, but I looked at it and I realized I kept clicking as he'd go forward to the hop. So to the target. So what I got is really a pathetic hop because he was so, because he was so busy going forward that he wasn't going up, you know, so he would get back over his hind end and then he kind of lunge forward and fall onto his front end. So I trained it. I looked at it and I thought, mm, that's hideous, but he's doing exactly what I asked. So I thought to myself, okay, what, what do I not like about this? And I thought he's too flat and too heavy on the front end because I keep clicking. My timing keeps being such that I'm clicking for that movement of going forward to the target. So I'm saying, yeah, you be heavy on your front end. And that's not really what I envisioned in my head, but that's what I ended up accidentally training. So I thought to myself, well, is there a point in here anywhere where he actually does go up? Because what I need is more up. So I thought I need to figure out a way to communicate more up. I either need to create it by holding the target high. So he kind of goes up or something else. So I thought, Okay, is there a point in this behavior where the there is any up? And I thought, yes, he pushes up, he goes up the second he pushes off the ground, but then he quickly goes forward because that's what I keep making more valuable. He has to go up for a moment to get off of that front end. So what all I did is I shifted my timing from that kind of moving forward. I shifted it to the moment he pushed off the ground. My timing, the, the, the timing of the click shifted by less than a second. It was a split second that I changed it from that, that point of going forward to the second he pushed off the ground within, it was less than five minutes. So within five minutes, Minty got the idea that the click was now happening at a different time and it changed the whole topography of the behavior. So now what he started doing now, remember, this is a, a natural construct that happens with positive reinforcement is they start learning, they start figuring out, they start raising their own criteria. This has just been shown over and over and over again. With traditional training, in order to raise criteria, you tend to have to kind of raise the pressure a little bit to get more of what you're, you're looking for because you've shifted it. With positive reinforcement, because they're working for something they want, there's a real tendency for them to raise their own criteria. So as Minty got the idea, he thought, oh, she likes up. I'm going to give her more up because a little up is good. More up is better. So he started giving me a little bit more up until it turned into within five minutes, little mini rears. Like he would go and have hang time for a second as he would go up and focus on the up. So all I did to shape the whole way that behavior looked. In fact, he gave me too much. I kind of had to flatten it out a little bit because it didn't look like a natural hop. It looked like a, I'm up and landing. And I wanted it to look like a very fluid hop. So it, it took, all I did was shift the timing of my click by a split second. And I changed the whole way that that behavior looked. Now, the lesson that I want you to get out of that, how important the timing is in this behavior. So, it, or the, the timing is in any behavior, but it was, it was really, to me, it was even remarkable to see how quickly he shifted that behavior to look completely different in five minutes. I thought I was going to have to work for days to get a different criteria. Now, keep in mind, 
Mint at that point was very well versed in in the clicker. He had learned number of behaviors. He had started reading where he was. He knew so much. He was really strong with his positive reinforcement. So he was really strong on the click and he was strong with the training and a number of behaviors. But still, he still took it and shifted. And that really demonstrated to me how much they are really listening and can be really attuned to when that click, what is happening when they earn the click. So remember, and I've talked about this when we first talked about training the bridge signal, training the clicker is, um, or whatever your bridge signal might be, it might not be a clicker, but that, that you want the click to happen on the behavior you want to see more of. So a little reminder in this, when we first teach the click, we're pairing it with food. 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 It is Pavlovian or classic conditioning. What happens in that process of classic conditioning, the clicker becomes a conditioned reinforcer. Little, we're going to go back a step even further. What does a reinforcer do? Reinforcers increase the frequency of behavior, whether it's negative or positive, but we've turned the clicker through that classic conditioning into a conditioned positive reinforcer. So when we click, we're saying, I like what you're doing right now, and I want to see more of it. So we have effectively, by clicking, we have reinforced that behavior. We have increased the likelihood of seeing that behavior increase in frequency. So we kind of forget sometimes how important the timing is. And I'm just going to say, the timing is important for any behavior, <laughs> you know, for any training, but it is really important to think about it in, in context to the clicker, because when we click, we, we are saying that's a behavior I want to see more of. So do we have bad timing sometimes? Oh yes, we sure do. Even when you've been doing it 36 years as I have, I still sometimes go, well, that was a bad bridge. You know, and I'll click something unintentionally. They throw something out I didn't expect or, you know, whatever that just happens. And it, it's not, you know, it's not the end of the world, but by really focusing, you want to click on the behavior you want to see more of. And on the other side of that coin, whatever behavior you click on, you are going to see more of. That's where I'm kind of putting that out there because you will, sometimes people keep clicking in the beginning as the horse is coming towards them. Well, then the horse learns to get more of a tendency to encroach on your space because we keep clicking them for coming in as opposed to going away. So when you're thinking about it, think I want the horse away from me. So I'm going to click as they go away from me or I horse eventually I want the horse to be straight. So now I'm going to shape it to being keeping your head straight. So all of that is to kind of remind you to be really aware of that timing with the click. If you find that you have that sometimes maybe your timing isn't so good. There's exercises you can do that can help you to hone that skill. So like, this is a good example is have, and you can have anybody do this. It's an easy thing. Have somebody throwing a tennis ball against the wall and, and you can even, I think it's too much to do it yourself sometimes, but if somebody else is doing it, you have to focus on your observational skills as well as your timing. So have somebody throwing you know, maybe they're, it's hitting the wall, then the floor, then the wall or the, the, yeah, the wall, then the floor, the floor, then the wall. So challenge yourself and say, I'm going to click every time it touches the wall. The second it touches the wall, not as it's leaving the wall, the moment it touches the wall and then shift and say, I'm going to click as soon as it touches the ground. 
And then I'm going to click as soon as it gets back in my hand. And so what you're doing is those are exercises that you can work on to to get sharper with your bridge signal, with your your clicker and your timing to help hone your your timing a bit. Because it is a mechanical skill that takes a bit to, to develop. People oftentimes, when I teach a clinic, they watch me clicking and they think it looks easy. And then they go do it. And they're like, that's not so easy, but I've done it forever. You know, I have you know, thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands, I, I probably have a million clicks by now. So I have lots of practice with that. But there are things you can do to help your timing in a situation where it's not so crucial with some simple exercises such as that. Okay. And another thing I'm also going to remind you, it, timing is, as I said earlier, timing is crucial no matter what type of training we're doing. But I'm also going to say good timing is good timing as well. When I first started working with BZ, they're watching BZ. Now, keep in mind, well, I, was, I was still a marine mammal trainer. I would work with people who hadn't really trained animals. Their timing was non-existent. So you had to help them to develop timing. I was used to dealing with people with not so great timing. As they kind of got going, their timing clearly got better as they went, as did their observational skills and their, their recognition of what they're even looking for. But when I first started working with BZ, well, she was brand new to this. Her timing was phenomenal. And I was like, your timing is crazy. On the light side, I, there was a time when I was early on with working with her, I was riding a horse. Now, keep in mind, I was newish to riding. And she said, your timing is really, she told Vinton actually, and said, your timing is, her timing is really good. It wasn't because of all my years in the saddle. My timing was good because of the training and, and using my bridge signals and understanding how to use it. Beezy's timing with the clicker was good because all of her years in the saddle. So timing is timing is timing is it's going to help you across the board. If we have poorly timed releases of pressure, we're not communicating what we, we thought. We're not saying that's the point. So I think that that's just a little reminder as you keep working on it, don't, don't doubt yourself in your timing. Just concentrate on what you want to see more of. Now, there is a situation that we are going to work on. And it is, there's a horse. What he keeps doing is hitting the ball with his knee. So it's a big, one of those big giant horse balls. He keeps hitting it with his knee. So the owner wants him to hit it with the foot. This is simply a matter of timing. So we're going to try to, we're going to work with this horse and we're going to shape that. His name is Poncho. And we're going to shape that into this other, we're going to take that timing and that behavior and we're going to try to turn it into more focus on the foot, less focus on nudging it with his knee. So that is the exercise we are going to work on today because it really directly deals with the timing and changing the timing. Now, with that, um, with that situation, what has kind of happened? And I, I want to talk about this because oftentimes what we do is with a new behavior, we may take the knee at first. We say hitting it with the knee is a good start because that you're hitting it with something. If I get too picky on that one criteria and go, no, it's only the foot, 
I may, I may just lose my horse. I mean, lose him in the way that he gets frustrated. It's, he doesn't understand what I'm looking for. It's not worth his while. The reinforcement ratio is far too low. Effort is not reinforcing enough. So I will in the beginning go hit it with any part of any leg and I'm going to take that. So this is a common thing that can happen is we start off with this one plan and we go, yes, that's great. And let's get that part working. But how do we shift to, to the next phase? And that is kind of, I think a little bit where she got stuck is got stuck with the knee and then feels too obligated. Well, I must feed you for that as opposed to how do we shape it to getting it towards the foot. So we're going to try a couple things to see if we can't encourage foot touching it um, versus knee touching it. So it's a little bit of an experiment and, but it always is. So what works for this horse may not work for your horse. Let's say your horse is at home and has the same exact problem. Well, it, it, this may not be the exact way to do it, but by shifting our timing or finding out how we can get that, we can shift to, to the lower part of the leg. And so that's going to be our little exercise. I think the biggest lesson in this for today is not necessarily the, uh, the nudging of the ball going to the kicking of the ball, but it really is that the timing can change the behavior. So if you find yourself in a little bit of a pickle, I want you to think about what you are looking for. When does it occur? How can I create it? And how can I shift my timing? And in this, a little bit of, and I know this is something I've talked about repeatedly, is we also want to be able to, it's part of the gift of this, or the gift, the art, part of the art of this. This, as I mentioned earlier, is science. We are using science, 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 science. But you can't just read a book and go out there and be a good trainer. You also have an art side to it. There's observation. There's learning your horse. You're learning, uh, Do can I tell when you are a little bit over threshold? Can I figure out the next piece? Can I, can I look for that timing? Am I losing you? When do I, certain horses need, you know, they need to stay in a place, they need to move slower. Some horses, you stay too long and it's hard to get them to move on. If we stay with one criteria too much, we're not playing the game. And the game is more important then the actual, I mean, it is the biggest part of it is playing the game. We give them all the food they need in a day. Do they want more food? Sure. But it isn't really about the food. It is really about playing the game. So to keep the game afoot, we must figure out how long do I stay at each level before I move to the next place? So a common thing I see people do is staying at one level and not quite moving, not knowing when to raise the criteria. I'm constantly raising criteria just a little bit, just a little bit, just a little bit. So it's attainable and they like it, but it's not, so it's not so hard. They can't do it or get it or figure it out. It is very attainable, but not so attainable that it's the same thing over and over and over again. And what I do, and remember we've, we've talked about this. Remember I say, because in 36 episodes. <laughs> You've listened to all of them, but I've talked about it before that it really is the game is the most important part. So it is. And what I liken this to, and this is an anthropomorphic analogy, but I love crossword puzzles. I love doing Sudokus. I, I love them. I can do them all day long. Nobody pays me to do them. Nobody feeds me for doing them. I love them. And I, I, I just enjoy them and I can pick up 
the Sunday crossword, the Sunday New York Times crossword puzzle, I can get very little of those puzzles. And I still like to do it. If it was always that difficult, it would be a lot more challenging for me. And I would feel I would start to lose my inspiration. But if I always did the Monday one, which is relatively easy, that that would be too easy. So I kind of like these varying degrees where I still am challenged and I can still do it. But let's say I picked up the same crossword puzzle every single day. All I did was end up filling in the words. It wasn't like there was any challenge in that mentally for me. It was just like filling in the words. That wouldn't be as engaging for me. I think it's very much the same with the training and the horses. They need to have a certain amount of challenge and success and challenge and success so that it becomes the fun game. Because if it's all about the food, you're doing a disservice to you and your horse. And that is not really reaching those deeper levels and building that real relationship with the training that we aspire to. So I think that that is really important level. And to back that up with a little bit of science, there, there's lots of science behind it. But one of the, one of the things that I think is really a significant study that you have, I, I have talked about before is they did a study where they gave animals free food. Then they took that away and they gave the animals, um, taught them to hit a lever for food. Then they gave them both options back. And what do you think they did? They tended to go to the lever for food. So they chose to work for the food. There's a dynamic in there that is quite intrinsic and that we do not want to lose track of. So they want to earn their reinforcement. They like that part. You see horses with hay nets. They can have hay on the ground and hay in a hay net and they'll go to the hay net. A lot of horses. That's not every horse, but mostly they tend to go for a little bit of a challenge. So that is a little, this is a bigger nugget, but it's an important nugget, I think, to keep track of. And that is, and the, the timing falls right into that, but it's, it's all keeping those pieces together. So I am going to be working with Poncho and the ball. This is probably not a lot of your different examples of what you're going to be working for or working through, but we're going to work through it just for fun. So we can kind of see how it goes and what he gets figured out in this little challenge and what we get figured out. But the big lesson behind it is the timing and, and me changing the timing and drawing attention to a different action. Instead of drawing attention to hitting the ball, the ball making contact with the knee, I'm going to start drawing attention to the foot making contact with the ball. So there you go. That's our little challenge for today. I suggest you listen along because you will gain some, some thought processes out of it. And maybe you want to, in this process, be teaching your horse to hit a ball. Who knows? You can go get a ball and you can work through it with us. So if you have something different that you're working on, you can also be working on a different behavior that perhaps you're thinking, I got stuck at this place and I've taught him to hop and it's really flat. <laughs> Just kidding. Whatever it might be, though, maybe you feel like there is a piece. You got your horse lifting your foot up and putting it right back down as opposed to picking his foot up and holding his foot up. So it may be different challenges that you're working with. So I'm going to be working on poncho and talking about what we're doing in this um, little exercise and how it relates to uh, this, this matter of timing. All righty, you guys. So go get ready and get your horse out. Maybe you just want to listen to this one in, in your the arena with your horse. That doesn't matter. But you go and go get your horse out. Spend some time with your horse. If you have something that you think will fit in, let's go. And we will, we will work through this together. All righty. Talk to you in a minute. 
All righty. So I am here. I am in the arena with Poncho. Poncho is not as skilled at this training as a lot of the other horses I work with here. He's done a lot less of it. And so, and he's also, I'm going to tell you, he is prone to a little bit of frustration. So this is going to make this task a little bit harder. He's kind of plateaued at an area where he's like, I know the criteria for this behavior. So this is going to be a real finesse situation. He knows the criteria that has been established and I'm going to need to change it slightly. If I just say no, now you have to kick the ball. He's going to either get frustrated and demonstrate it with a little bit of surliness directed at me or the ball, or he's going to walk off and go, forget it. I want nothing to do with that. I have, you've just extinguished that behavior. I will never do it again. So I have a little bit of uh, work cut out for me, knowing that he is a little prone to a little frustration. He's been stuck at this place. So he's going to think, I know this criteria and you don't, and I don't quite know you as well either. So I, and, and I'm going to also point out a little, little thing here, a little caveat per se. I also may have a little advantage because he doesn't know me. So if it was his owner doing this, who has done it the whole time, he may think, well, this is, this is how you do, this is what, how we do it. We've established this and now you've changed the rules. So with me and not knowing me, he may be a little more, uh, you know, observational with me and be like, I don't really know. I might try some more things, but on the other hand, it could go the other direction where instead he goes, I don't know you. I don't care for you, you changing this. He does know me a bit, but not to the degree that he knows his owner. So he may be, he may have more tolerance with me and come up with other solutions. He may have less tolerance with me and come up with other solutions. It can go either way. So it's up to me as the trainer to be paying attention to that. And remember, my goal is always to keep him under threshold. I do not want to tap into his frustration. You know, that's not, that's not good. That's not a, that's not going to help him to like this behavior or this training or this training session even anymore. So I am doing, going to be looking very carefully at what I can do to minimize, uh, that, that behavior. Also, I'm going to take a good look at mechanically what he does, just like I talked about with Minty and the, um, and him, the hop. And I thought, where in this behavior does he give me what I'm looking for? Does it happen anywhere? Fortunately in that situation it did. So I thought I'm going to draw attention to that moment in time so I can isolate that behavior and get more of that. So, um, that's, that's what I could do. So I'm also going to be watching how he does this because I just been reached out to for this is my struggle. And so I haven't even really watched it so much. I'm going to see if there is a point in there. Does the, does he hit the knee and then the foot hits it? Maybe if I'm lucky, that would be a little bit easier. I mean, cause it would already be happening. So if not, I may have to come up with something else. So, all right. So now I'm about to go in with Poncho. I will definitely keep this one a little bit short and sweet be well it always varies doesn't it i always think i'm doing them short and sweet but it always varies on what i say okay so i'm going to go in with poncho and here i go so in we go first things first i'm going to ask him to stop and turn his head away jessica and feeding him well so i'm getting him on the right track i want him to know that i am going to be quite reinforcing 
I am worth your while, first of all, and taking, making sure I'm keeping him a little, make sure I'm keeping him not edgy. And that was great. Now I'm going to do a little bit of Liberty leading. He is prone to more energy. So I'm going to start slow. So I take one step, stop, turn your head away. I reach over and feed him where I want his head to be. That was great. Going to feed him again. Now we're going to take three steps. One and two and three and ho. Perfect. And reinforce him again. And that was great. Okay. Because he is a horse that's prone to more energy, not less. I keep reinforcing the downward transitions. So the quieting and the settling. If he's a horse who is slower and quieter already, I might be clicking on the walking part more. So just kind of sense that energy in him and thought, let's bring that down a little. Okay. And I'm going to make, we're going to walk and walk and walk. And I'm going to ask for a right hand turn. Excellent. So he's doing all of this quite well. I feel like he's with me. He's engaged and he is, he is focused on me. Okay. So now I'm going to have Patty put the ball in the ring. Caveat here. If I feel like he's worried about it, I'm not, I'm going to have the ball already in the arena so he can approach it. He can get used to it. That's a separate issue. We'll talk about that in homework, but he's good with it. So I'm moving away from the side of the arena so that she, so we're far enough away that if he does get startled, we are far. And so I'm moving kind of far enough away. She's putting it one corner. We're kind of midway over here in the middle on the other side. So he dropped, she dropped it. In. He's good. He's no, no response. I'm going to ask him to walk up to it. This also does another thing. This allows as we're 60 feet away. So we got a little walking to do, but this, and we're at Liberty. Remember we, I tend to do all of this at Liberty as much as I can. So I am, and I would definitely do this at Liberty. So as we're at Liberty, if he felt worried about the ball for some reason, maybe he doesn't feel safe with the ball and me, you know, or whatever it might be, he can walk away. He can leave. But he's walking up. To, we walked up to it quite confidently. We're right next to the ball. And so what I'm going to do is her cue for going to the ball is basically a point. So I'm going to give him a point and see if he what he does with that. So and for me, I would use a different one because a target would be my point would be a target cue basically or go see something. But that kind of works for the ball, too. So I give him a point. He goes to the ball. Okay, good. Okay, so what I did, I did click, but I clicked immediately when he touched the ball because I wanted to say, yes, make contact with the ball. The ball is significant. Doing Touching the ball is good. It was really the same old criteria that he knows. But he does, in that, in that approximation anyway, he did follow through. As he need the ball, his cannon bone then was the next thing to touch the ball. So he need it, but as he put his foot back down, it it can, it kind of went towards the ball too. So I am going to, so I clicked at the same old point. As soon as he kind of was reaching for the ball, I like your thought. I like your concept. What I'm going to do now, I'm going to delay that click by a split second. So I'm going to wait and have it be a little bit later. Now I'm going to say he is not as well versed in this as Minty is. So Minty's putting it together may not be the same for Pacho because he hasn't done this as much. So we are going to, that was good. Okay. So we are going to do it again. I'm going to give him a point to the ball. 
He go okay. Okay, so I didn't click that one. He touched the ball, but what he did, he hit it strong enough with his knee, a little bit more vigor than the first time, and when he put his foot back down, the ball was not near us any longer. So while that looked good the first time, it was that slighter effort that the ball was still there and he could touch it. This time when he nudged it, the ball is out of of our range. So what my next thing is going to be, I am going to Patty, does he know stay? He doesn't. Okay. Um, okay. So another thing that would be a good thing to do is to put him on a stay and then have him walk towards me with the ball and his in the matter of walking, he'd probably hit it with his foot. What but but that is he doesn't have a stay. So what I need to do is I'm going to have the ball in front of us. Okay, so it's a big ball. It's, you know, it's three feet tall. So it's a big ball and it's in front of us and he's trying to nudge it with his knee. So I'm just kind of standing here until he settles a little bit. Okay, perfect. So now, so he's trying. So it, it, the ball's between me and him. So he's kind of, it can't go anywhere because I got my, my hands on it. But you could tell he was near him and he was trying to touch it. So what I want him to do is stop with that part. So what I'm going to do is wait till he settles. He stopped and just put his feet back on the ground. He kind of stopped and thought, I don't know. And so I reinforce that. And I'm going to reinforce it a lot because I wanted to be able to be near the ball without necessarily kicking the ball. Okay, I'm going to reinforce him right here for stay. I'm going to give him a magnitude reinforcement. And I'm going to get out of here for a second and regroup and have a little bit of a new plan. So I'm giving him a jackpot reinforcement, a magnitude reinforcement for not kicking the ball, just standing next to it. So that was good. That's a good thing to reinforce. No problem with that. And what we're going to do, I'm going out and I'm going to talk to Patty here. And Patty, I'm going to give her some instructions. Patty, what I want you to do, I'm going to give you the side bucket and you grab your clicker. And you're going to be, I'll be the clickerer because I want a side view versus the, uh, the right with the big giant ball in front of me. I can't see what part of the leg is touching the ball. So this is my problem. I can't, I can't tell that I'm being selective in my bridging if I can't even see what's happening. So I'm going to have Patty be kind of the cue person, be with him, give him, be standing next to him or being, you know, directing the ball and asking him to move and the reinforcer. I'm going to be on the side so I can actually see where, what part of the leg is touching the ball. So that is where we are going to go. We're going to have a heavy influence, I think, Patty. We're going to have a heavy, heavy influence on him standing still until we ask him to walk. Because if we ask him to walk, I think the foot will hit it a little better than him thinking of raising his knee into it. Okay, so that's our plan. Here we go. All right, so Patty and I are going back in the arena. I have a clicker. She has a clicker too, just in case. And so, but we are going to work on, um, Patty's with him and can hold the ball and okay. And he's trying to nudge it again. And then he stood back on two feet I, and I clicked and Patty's going to feed that perfect Patty. So she's giving him a couple handfuls. Hey, can you roll the ball out in front of him? Like a foot feed him as feed him across the ball 
So he stays where he is, but the ball can kind of edge slightly away. Yeah, yeah, good. <laughs> yes, just like that. That's perfect. So I had her kind of lean over the ball and feed him, but now the ball is a little further away. So it's not, in order to make contact, he needs to step up to it. So she fed them a few handfuls. So he's kind of busy chewing versus busy trying to get to the next behavior. Good. Okay. Ask him to walk forward. Yep. Just call him. Perfect. Perfect. And so there I clicked as he, he was thinking more about going to Patty and less about nudging the behavior that he has learned with the ball, which is nudging the ball. He was thinking more about going to Patty. And so that was perfect because he just was walking towards her. When he walked towards her, he hit it with his cannon bone and his foot at the same time. So that was really, really good. Okay. Now we're not going to push this point too much. We're kind of getting a little bit of a solution and what we can work towards. Okay. So set it while he's still chewing, give him a couple big handfuls, Patty, and then move that ball, um, move that ball away like a foot and a half. But feed him again so he's still staying there and eating. Good. Okay. Now, call him towards you. Perfect. And that was good. See, okay, so we found a nice little solution in here. We got a, um, we got him walking to the ball versus basically what I find that we're doing in this situation. It wasn't as much just timing we had to kind of teach him a new behavior in this. So we had to get him thinking not about the knee, but just walking towards the ball. So we actually kind of shaped how he was thinking. And now our timing comes into play. All right, Patty, let's do one more of those. And then we'll just give him a big jackpot for that. He's really keeping it together and having a great attitude. And of course, the attitude is really more important than anything. All right, and Patty knows the drill now. She's got it worked out. Okay, and here we go. And excellent. And that was really good. Okay, that worked out pretty, pretty well. Just give him a jackpot and we'll end it there, Patty. That is great. You can do some other fun behaviors if you... No, just leave the jackpot. Leave him with that. I want him to end on that. That was perfect. And you, you need a jackpot too because you were very, very good and adaptable. Thank you. Okay. All right, you guys. So we are going to wrap that up here. So what we got is, uh, I kind of thought maybe we could just get the timing. You could see kind of the, the, the trial and error we needed to go through to get that sorted out. And we did, we got to a good place and we'll talk more about that in our, uh, homework time. And I think this is, this was actually probably a really good lesson. We should probably just call this shaping. <laughs> because it is the timing is key for shaping but kind of the steps we take are really important to how we set them up to get the behavior we want to see more of so i was quite pleased with that it, it went different and i have other ideas of things we can do i can wrap this up really quick patty can take her time and get out of there you guys get yourself wrapped up and get back to the classroom and we will go over our homework all right that was really pretty fun all right hope you enjoyed it as much as i did all right, talk to you in a minute.
All righty. Homework, of course, is important. And and we'll talk about the homework with that. But we're going to kind of talk about the bigger picture, too, and things to consider. So, of course, homework is how we progress. These are the successive approximations, and there's always more to do and more places to do it and to check and proof that behavior in the new places. All right. One of the things we talk about also quite a bit when we're using positive reinforcement is food. What kind of food do we use? What should I use? How can I, what, 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 what? I talk about, we need to think about the metabolic needs of our horses and we got to be careful. We can't just be, I want to feed lots of food. I'm not a stingy feeder, so I need to be careful of the food I'm feeding. And also if my horse isn't well and in a good place and mentally in a good place, it also doesn't set them up for success. So I want to be sure that my, I'm feeding healthy things in my training session and I'm feeding my horse healthy things for a balanced and healthy life. And Cavalier Feed is a part of that. So let's learn more about Cavalier Feed and what makes them so special. As we progress through the clicker training exercises, we talk about feeding the horse each time you use the clicker. Sometimes, most of the time, I use feed, but sometimes I use treats. And I love the Cavalier Feed and the Cavalier Treats because they use the highest quality ingredients. I can feed a lot of it, and I know it's healthy and a safe alternative to the highly processed feeds. So I think it's important that we can feel really comfortable about feeding a lot of the feed without thinking we're loading them down with sugar. And that's what you get with Cavalor. With the Cavalor feeds, you can also actually see the ingredients. So it looks like a cereal you and I would eat. And in fact, I've tasted it and it's pretty good. <laughs> and the best part is Cavalor's team is easy to work with. You can reach out to them through their website or Facebook page and a real life person will call you back to personally talk through your horse's nutritional needs. Learn more about the products at www.cavalor.us or reach out to them through their Facebook page, Cavalor North America. You'll be glad you did. All right. Well, that was um, a lot of fun and I think it was really a good example of not only the timing, but being able to adapt and, and figuring out how to create the behavior you're looking for. How do I shape this? How do I take a behavior maybe I don't want that I want to see it different and turn it into something different? How do I, how do I progress simply? So it's all really good things to consider. There's so much more than just the behavior we're working for. And Poncho, I think was a good example because Poncho is also, you've heard me say this a lot too, Training stuff is easy. It's getting the attitude right that is the hard part. And, and, and with changing the criteria, I knew we're going to a little bit of a challenging place with Poncho. And it was up to me to make it really clear and help to set him up for success and still have it be fun. Training should always be fun for you and your horse. If it is not fun, if you're feeling grippy, if they're feeling grumpy, something's wrong. You know, you need to slow it down, break it down, take smaller steps, use more food, use a higher value reinforcer, or a lot of times it just means a higher quantity of reinforcer to make it reinforcement and to make training fun. Because when the training's fun, you fly right through it. But getting that attitude right is part of it. Okay, so one of the things we did is we also talked about the ball. Now, the ball was significant in this. Now, don't just go get any ball. There's not, there's a lot of balls that won't hold up to horses. So you're just going to be wasting your money because you'll need them all the time. There's some balls that move too easily 
So they're going to be too light again because they're not designed for horses. They can blow in the wind and terrify a horse who maybe is not comfortable with the ball in the early stages. Or it could be where they can break the ball too easily and eat pieces of the ball. That is no good because if they're tearing it up and eating pieces of the ball, ingesting rubber is not a good thing for horses. And then the size of the ball, too small is not good. This is also something we're very aware of with the marine mammals. You couldn't give them a ball that could compress under pressure because then they could be down in atmosphere in the water and it could be smaller. They could get it stuck. They come to the surface and now it's expanded. So you always need to think of safety. And so there's plenty of balls out there that are made for horses. I personally like the ones that are also covered with a cover. So it's a rubber ball. And then they have like a Cordura, you know, some sort of heavy duty backpack material cover on it. And a lot of times they will, they'll get a little smaller with the, uh, this, when it's warmer, they expand when it gets a little smaller in the winter, keep that in mind too. You don't want a ball that's going to explode. So again, find a ball that is designed for horses, but with the ball expanding and contracting, it means that the the, the cover can get a little bit loose. It gives them something to hang on to. They can pick it up. They can shake the ball. So, and there's different ones. You can get ones that are small and ones that are really big. I was using one and, and Patty had been using one that is really big. So that was great. That's, they're fun. And I think it makes it very fun and dynamic for them to play with. But I also was thinking during that session, if I had a smaller ball, it wouldn't be so he is hitting it with the top of his knee. He couldn't do it. The ball would be smaller. So I actually realized I could probably, and we have smaller balls here. I could probably shape that behavior even a different way. I chose one way to do it. And there's many roads to Rome. I kind of chose one way to do it. If he had to stay, that would be an easy way to do it with one person because I could ask him to come forward, but I could be a little bit further along. But if I had a smaller ball, he, he, he couldn't hit it with his knee. The small, it wouldn't be there. It would be down more at below his knees. These are bigger horses we're dealing with. If you have a tiny horse, it's a small ball is going to be at their knees. But in his situation, having a smaller ball puts it at his feet and kind of bones. So in order to hit it, he needs to he has to hit it with a different part. So that would be a different way that I might be able to change that behavior. Um, so again, that was a, a lesson in problem solving and shaping, but it is also about that timing. So if I start off, let's say I'm teaching that ball and he's hitting it and I'm using the big ball because I want to do the big ball it, in the beginning as I start to hit the knee, but then I start shaping and what I start doing is being a little more selective and say, well, now it needs to be the cannon bone. Now it needs to be the foot. And then I can even start adding in direction. Say you need to, I want you to kick it in my direction and I'm two feet from you. Cause at first it's going to be mild, but then pretty soon I'm four feet from you and 10 feet from you. And then they have to figure out how to get that ball to you. There's also something called back chaining where the end, them getting to you, the end is trained first. So if you're trying to train them to get the ball to you, you might train touching the ball with it near you. That's another lesson altogether. I'm not going all down that rabbit hole. But anyway, you could see there's different ways to do that and different ways to make that behavior, to shape and change that behavior to what you want to, to 
to see. But first of all, you got to figure out what you want, don't you? <laughs> and sometimes, like in the case of Patty and Poncho, they kind of started off thinking, I want you to get the ball to me. But then she kind of got lost in the he only hits it with his knee, which isn't as strong of a kick. It doesn't get any real distance. And they got hung up on him thinking, I only do it. I only nudge it with my knee versus kicking it with my foot. So then we had to figure out how do we get him back on track? And I think we came up with a plan. Okay. Uh, enough of that. <laughs> Hopefully that made sense to you. Hopefully that had an application in there. And if you want to go and teach your horse to play soccer or kickball, it's a great fun thing to do. And it's just another dynamic thing that gives them freedom. It gives them place to have choice, to get out some of their extra energy. And it's a, a game that the two of you can play together. So that can be a lot of fun too. All right. Well, you can listen on most of your favorite podcast players to this, or you can listen to other uh, great shows that come from the Horse Radio Network. You can also listen on your uh, the Horse Radio Network app. That is available for your iPhone and your Android. And of course, using the app makes it really easy to follow along. And it makes it really easy to get to all of your favorite shows. It's easy to use as well as it's free. So be sure to visit all of the great shows at horseradionetwork.com. There are tons of fun shows. There's fun shows. There's informative shows. There's shows of discipline, shows for breeds, shows for specific issues, health issues, or, or you know, whatever it is. And if you want to learn more about me and what I'm up to, uh, you can Google shaunacarish.com. Villanova Training is where I'm based out of here in Santa Fe, the beautiful Santa Fe, New Mexico. So to keep up on what we're doing, I go to Villanova Training and you can sign up for our newsletter. And in the newsletter, you can, we'll keep you apprised of what we're doing. And if you want to learn, uh, listen to the podcast again, you can also listen to them on my, uh, on my website. You can also submit questions for Ask Shauna. I have Ask Shauna answers that I answer through YouTube. So that's another place and another great resource you can go to. And again, you can also find there at my website. So there you go. Whole lot of resources for you to get to and for you to learn more and, and to continue learning because learning is so important. Alrighty, folks. I hope you had fun today. And until next time, enjoy getting your horse on target. <laughs>